John chapter 11. We're in the midst of of studying the Gospel of John uh, in a unique way. Uh, We're studying it through the questions that Jesus asks in it. He asks lots of questions in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of John. He asks these questions, and as Jesus has um, a tendency to do, he asks questions that cut right to the matter, uh, and questions that at first glance seem very easy for us to answer, but when we honestly look at them, they're telling uh, of who we are. And so John chapter 11 is a famous story, the story of Lazarus and Jesus raising him from the dead. Probably a story that many of us are familiar with already. If you're not, it's a story that's very engaging and you'll catch on to it easy. Uh, It's really a story of um, faith being tested. Uh, Now, many of you know that for the past month, my wife has been um, substitute, long-term substitute teaching in second grade classroom. And one of the great things about it is that In the same way that she helps me with my job here sometimes, I get to help her with her job too. So I get to grade uh, second grade tests, uh, and it's fun um, because they they often do great, so it's fun to do it that way. But you have these tests, and and, uh, it's funny to watch them through because I can go through as as someone who's sort of just uninvolved in the classroom, and I just, I use the answer key, and I mark them wrong or right. But Rachel, when she tests, she's teaching the kids, and she cares, she's engaged with the kids. And so when one of them gets one wrong, she cringes and says, oh, so-and-so, come on, oh, I can't believe it. And then if someone gets them all right, she's, you know, so emphatic and so excited about it. And I'm just, you know, putting big C's on this thing or marking X's and trying to write in ways that kids, you know, slapping stickers on there, things that I never thought I would ever do. You know, elementary school passed, and that was it for me. The junior high, and that was it. Never thought that I'd be doing this. But it's interesting to think about it in the context of that in terms of testing how when you're fully engaged in what's going around you, when the test comes is when you feel it the way you do. And so I think so many times in the Christian faith, um, we like to just mark the papers, don't we? Especially if we're not involved. And sometimes we put the sticker on it, which I'll say is the Christian cliche of, you know, oh... God loves you, you know, good luck with that, I'm praying for you. And I don't mean that to say when we say those things, we don't mean them, but the problem is sometimes those universal sayings in the moment, in the crucible of the moment for the person who's facing it, they're, they're finally coming to grips with believing it, and we're just slapping things on it. We'll find that today as we read this story. So John chapter 11. We'll read it together here. Uh, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. Uh, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now this makes no sense to me, right? He loved them, heard they were sick, so he figured, let me hang out for a few more days. Interesting. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And they said, but Rabbi, a short while ago they were trying to kill you, now you want to go back there? And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, but They see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night, they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Love this next part here, because this is is what I would do probably. 
His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. That's good, right? When you have a fever, take a nap. That always works. Uh, and Jesus uh, had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, uh, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Grieving in ancient Jewish culture was a communal event. Um, not necessarily even just for the closest of friends. Communities would come uh, and grieve together. They even had professional mourners, uh, interestingly enough. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to, uh, to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? There's our question. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come. After that, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along also with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not, even open the, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's interesting uh, to note here, uh, this is obviously a, a story about resurrection, the miraculous power of Jesus. It's actually a foreshadower to what Jesus is, in fact, going to do after he's crucified and the fact of rising from the dead. But resurrection really isn't at the center of it. Really, the center of it is faith. Because the question Jesus asks is, do you believe? And that's the, the, the core interwoven reality of this whole text is, do you believe? And it's the question that's laid before us this morning. Do we believe? Now, it's interesting as we examine faith because there's so many different characters in here. So you've got Martha, and you've got Mary, You've got Jesus himself, and then you have the disciples, and then you have all of the, the community of people. And all of them are either not exercising faith or exercising faith in some capacity. Uh, and so if we had lots and lots of time, we'd explore them all. But for the sake of our time, I want to talk about Martha, Jesus, and the disciples. We'll give Mary a pass. Um, she's very difficult to understand here. Um, I, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. We don't know this. I'm sounding like I know something special here. We don't know exactly what's... She's so grief-stricken. She's just overwhelmed. Now, we know later that Mary's the emotional one, right? She's the one who's at Jesus' feet, and Martha's in the back cooking dinner. Like, she's, she's on task. She's what's, what's going on. 
So Martha is the one that Jesus is having this conversation with. Mary's just so grief-stricken. Um, but it is interesting to note, they both ask Jesus the same, say the same statement to Jesus, don't they? Jesus, if you had been here, you could have done something. The difference between the two is that Martha then says, but I know that God hears you and will give you whatever you ask. Mary doesn't do that. So we can make judgments on her, possibly, or we can just give her the benefit of the doubt and say she's really grief-stricken. We'll do that for today um, and focus on Martha uh, for a minute. Martha has faith, doesn't she? She has faith. Lord, if you'd been here, you could have done something. That's more faith than, than I have sometimes, more faith than you have sometimes, more faith than a lot of people have sometimes. In fact, her faith goes even beyond that to say, now, I still think you can even do something now because God hears you. So her faith is real. It's present. But there are shortcomings to it, are there not? I want to suggest to you three possible shortcomings and how they might relate to you and I, if we're honest with ourselves. Because what Martha does is classic me. When I read this, I read this again this week several times, I kept thinking, I'm so Martha. This is so much like me. Uh, Martha says, Jesus says, your brother's not, he's going to rise. Right? And Martha says, I know he's going to rise in the last day, in the resurrection at the end. Uh, it's great faith. But there are shortcomings to it. I want to suggest to you three things. First, she has faith for the future, not faith for the now. Is that you? But it's so me, right? I wear glasses because if I take them off, I can't see you, right? You're, you're all blurry. I've got astigmatism. But really, if something's close to me, I can see it well. If something's far away, I can't see it. So I wear glasses to see things that are far away. Martha's faith and my faith, if you're anything like me, is the exact opposite, right? She can see the things far away. It's the stuff that's right here in the now that's cloudy and hard to put our hands on. I used to think that it was just me. I used to say, always say, I have great faith for the future. My faith right now, it can really be shaken sometimes. But the more and more I've talked to people, the more and more I think that that's the reality of faith for most of us, not just for a handful of us. Some people have been given the spiritual gift of faith, and you have faith that supersedes. And for the rest of us, we're living into faith because we're called to it too. But we often have faith for the future. Lord, I know he's going to rise in the resurrection. I know that. I believe that. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. And the life now, for you now. Is your faith sometimes so future-oriented that sometimes in the now, you're shaken? Let me give you an example. We, um, Jeremiah 29, 11, a famous verse for lots of people. I know the plans that God has for me, plans to prosper me, for me to succeed. And, and as Christians, we believe that. We believe that God has this wonderful plan. He's going to work it out. And in the end, everything's going to work. We prayed earlier. Everything's going to work together for the good. And we're on a journey that's going to lead us to heaven, to the presence of God through the work of Jesus. And so we have this wonderful future faith for everything that's going to happen in the end day or at the end of the accumulation of our life. But in the here and the now, for many of us, our days are riddled with anxiety, with fretting, with fear, with worry. We have wonderful faith for the future, but our faith for the now is so easily shaken, isn't it? So here we find Martha. Unbelievable faith. I believe in the resurrection. I know he's going to rise again. There were Jewish people, Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection. 
I know he'll rise again. But Jesus is not talking about a future resurrection. He's talking about now. The second thing is um, she has faith in what's abstract um, or faith in what's intangible, right? It can't be touched. And for many of us, um, and, and faith is defined this way in Scripture, right? It's the evidence of things unseen. Right? It's a, we believe in the unseen, uh, the, the mystery, the mystical, that the God is here, um, but even though he can't be seen or, or touched. But some, in this strange sort of way, even though it takes a lot of faith to believe in this, uh, somehow, for me, if you're anything like me, sometimes it's easier to believe in the other or the supernatural or that God is the abstract, the intangible, than the here and the now, the concrete, the day-to-day life. So, for instance, let me give you an example. We believe that God is love. Don't we? God is love. And God loves us with an everlasting love. And God pursues us. And we were meant to be in this intimate union with God. And we believe that. We have faith in that. We trust God like that. But if you're anything like me, in the here and the now, so often we go looking for love everywhere but God. Don't we? We look for love in the approval of other people. We look for love in... um, the, the condemnations of other people. We look for love in our human relationships. We look for love outside of, of human relations. All kinds of different ways. We believe, we have faith, big time faith. It's not unreal, but sometimes it's so pointed to the other that we miss it in the here and now. And Jesus said to her, your brother is going to rise. And she said, I know he's going to rise in the resurrection. This thing that was sort of incomprehensible, but was going to happen in the last day. Third thing I want to suggest to you is, is sometimes our faith is in doctrine alone, not in the one who our doctrine speaks about. Does that make sense? So we put our faith in a set of beliefs, and we should, and it's right, and that's why it's called a confession of faith, Right? But sometimes our faith is so given to an order, a set, a systematic uh, list of beliefs that when we get outside of that, when that stuff starts to, to be manifest and come into our real life and, and things become meshed together, it's very difficult for our faith to be exercised in those moments. Let me give you an example. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. That in His death, He covered our sins that we are fully accepted and embraced by God without any effort of our own, all through the work of Jesus. This is glory. It's the gospel. It's glorious. We believe it. I believe it. But do you ever find yourself in the here and the now trying to do good to please God? Somehow our faith sometimes is so focused on the future, on the intangible, on the other, on the system of beliefs that it's not actually in the one who is the system of belief, who the system of beliefs is about, who is the other, who is <laughs> the future now. You catch the drift of what I'm getting at here. We say that God is sovereign. We believe that. I believe that with every ounce of me. You could question me to the nth degree. God is sovereign. Yes, I believe it. I'll point you to Scripture. 
But in the here and now, when things don't go my way, it starts to get a little nervous, right? It starts to be like, wait a minute, this isn't unraveling the way I wanted to it. I thought there was going to be a, a foothold for me to step here. When I put my leg, it dropped off the side of a cliff. What's going on? My faith is in a belief that God is sovereign, but how much is it in the fact that it's God who is sovereign? And so when Jesus gets to the point of the matter with Martha, he's not condemning her. Her faith is unbelievable. I think he wants to praise us and you and, and commend you for your faith. This is not a sermon that says to us, oh, we're terrible at having faith, you need to get better. No, 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 no. I want us to understand it in a more holistic kind of way. In the reality that faith is not just meant for down the road. You're not just putting your hope in something that might happen ten years from now. It's now. Sometimes we put our faith in these kinds of things because it's nice and neat and it's organized and then when we need to defend it or remind ourselves of it, we know which chapter to turn to. We know where it is in a list. It's all nicely classified. But when those situations rise in our life, they're very messy. (laughs) And sometimes in the crucible of the moment, it's hard to find quote-unquote chapter and verse, is it not? Faith. This is what Jesus wants us to know. I'm convinced of this. This is what Jesus wants Martha to know in the moment. I appreciate your faith. The resurrection in the last day, yes, I affirm that. Your faith is well-placed. Your faith in, your, in, your, in our set of beliefs as followers of Jesus is well-placed. Our faith in the presence of God, even though we can't see them, is well-placed. Our faith in the future, that God is working all things together for the good, that Jesus will return, that He's going to restore all things the right way, well-placed. But let, me, let you not forget that even though you've placed your faith well in that, I'm here now. And I'll do these things now. So Jesus says to her, good, good, those are good beliefs, but I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll not die. But have fullness of life. Do you believe? (laughs) R.C. Sproul, if you caught the Facebook post this week, I read this from him, heard, I forget which one it was. It just, it just, um, it's like like getting punched. Uh, (laughs) Rachel and I watched, went to the movies last night. Um, The boys were at my sister and we watched the movie Identity Theft. Have you seen commercials for this? Uh, The universal reality in this movie is that the lady is always punching people in the throat. (laughs) Anyway, um, when I read this, it was like I got punched in the throat, right? Like by this lady that that R.C. Sproul wrote. He said that that, um, it is easy to believe in God. It's believing God that is the test of the Christian life. You catch that? It's not just semantics. It's easy to believe in God. It's believing God. That's the test of the Christian life. This is the test at the moment for Mary and Martha. We know that you believe in God, and that faith will be vindicated. But do you believe God? What is it that God is speaking into your life right now in these moments of life? He wants to affirm you. Your belief in Jesus is right on. Your trust that the future is taken care of is right on. Your belief in the, in the tenets of, of evangelical Christian faith is 
100% correct. But what about now, in the shaken parts of your life? Because what Jesus is saying is that when you believe Him, do you believe me? When you believe Him, three realities come into play. He's near, not far off. There's a future for Jesus, but He's here now. Like, come to give you life to the fullest now. He's near, not far off. He's real, not just an idea. His name does, doesn't appear in verses or in textbooks. He's real, and He's active, and He's moving. And His Spirit is flooding the earth, convicting people of sin and calling them to faith, and working in us to produce the fruits of the Spirit. It's real, not just an idea. It's real. And thirdly, He's a person, not just a set of beliefs. Active, moving, This is the Jesus that comes from heaven to earth to set things right. He's not just something to believe in. What He came and did is what changed things for us. This is what I love about Martha. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. Yes. And to what extent she really believed it wasn't the point of Jesus' question. The point was for him to once again remind her, I got this. I'm handling it. I'm taking care of it. I'm moving. I'm active. I'm not just an idea you call out to. I'm not just a set of beliefs you cling to. I'm here. I'm present. I'm active. I'm moving. Your faith is well placed in those things, but it's better placed in me. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. This is what I love uh, about Jesus. Uh, Two things about his faithfulness. One is the surety of his faith. (laughs) No mincing anything here with his faith. Right? So he waits, he gets the word that he's sick, and Jesus knows it's a sickness unto death, uh, even though he says it's not a sickness unto death. He knows that Lazarus is, is dying or will die before he gets there. So he waits two days. It seems very inconsiderate. Then it's a two days' journey for him to get there. So by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. We know this because when he goes to the tomb, here in the verses we didn't quite get to read yet, they say to him, no, we're not going to roll the stone over. He stinks. He's been dead for four days, right? What's the importance of four days? Interesting about first century Judaism. They believe that the spirit, uh, soul of the person, spirit of the person, hovered above the physical body for three days after death and was always trying to resuscitate the physical body. That's why they would always go to the grave and check and make sure that the person hadn't started breathing again and was alive and trapped behind a stone in a cave. But after three days, the Spirit sends off and the person is dead. When does Jesus come? On the first day? Second day? Third day? Fourth day? That's faith. No one says, oh, the Spirit was still hovering and interceded and moved into the body. No, Jesus spoke the words of God and the dead man rose. And then you have this whole crowd of people. He doesn't send everyone to the sidelines 
right? This is what I would do if I was, well, I'd never be Jesus, but if I was in that situation, I'd be like, God wants me to do this alone, right? In case it didn't work, right? There wouldn't be everyone there pointing fingers at me saying, well, you loser, what is this all about? I totally do it like the most intimately and, you know, well, quiet, let's get in the corner here, put the stone behind me and I'll get in the grave with them, you know? Jesus, like, everyone's there and everyone you know is saying, this is not going to work. This guy's nuts. What is he talking? Even Mary and Martha are like, he stinks. We're not going to open this grave. And then, then uh, it says that he has them open and roll the the stone away, right? (laughs) So it's this this big public thing happening here. And then Jesus makes this, this unbelievable statement. Let me read it to you. Unbelievable statement. Uh, verse 41, they took the stone away. Jesus looked up and said, now imagine this, all these people looking at him. He looks up and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Not will hear me, not hear me, heard me. I mean, what kind of faith is that? I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they might believe. Heard me past tense. I already knew this was... And then... He doesn't just say, you know, wave a magic wand or anything. It says, in a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come out! A huge public spectacle. And then out walks the dead man. Unbelievable. And Jesus says, get the grave clothes off of him. He's alive. I mean, even in my greatest levels of faith, I wouldn't scream I wouldn't roll the tomb away. I'd send people away. I'd try to do it in private. I wouldn't say to God, you already heard me. I'd say to God, please hear me. Right? Like, everything's at stake here. The surety of Jesus' faith is why we can rightly put our faith in Him. But the second thing is the sincerity of His care. I love this about God. I mean, He's just not a God that set things straight because he felt like he ought to do it. And this is a God who so intimately loves his people. And how could you not be moved when you come to know this God who's pursued you for so long? How do we know the sincerity of Jesus' care? A few things. One, he goes to Bethany, right? We've been reading in these chapters before that every time Jesus shows up anywhere near Jerusalem and makes a peep, they're trying to kill him, right? Sometimes he gets away in secret. Sometimes crowds move in and he gets away. They're always trying to kill him. So much so that when he announces he's going to go, his disciples say, they're trying to kill you. Are you nuts? But Jesus is so moved by the situation that he goes to Bethany. His life isn't the point. He already already knows he's going to give up the fullness of his life for his people. But doesn't that give you peace in your life? And Jesus will not be stopped from meeting you in your moment of need. He will not be hindered. Nothing will keep him. No one will build a barricade big enough. And guess what? You're usually the one that tries to build the barricade, and you can't even build it big enough. The same with me, right? He marches to Bethany. It says it's two miles from Jerusalem, but that's because the winding roads. The reality is, as the crow flies, or whatever people say, like, they're right there. (laughs) 
So much that it says that people from Jerusalem were flooding in. And if you keep reading later in John chapter 11, you find out they want to kill him again because they're so stirred up by this whole notion. Sincerity of his care for his people. And then we find it in that, that famous verse that we all tried to memorize so that we could say we memorized the verse because it's real short. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. And I want to tell you that you've understood it in the wrong way this whole time, unless you knew something that I didn't know for a long time. We have always heard this in the sense of that Jesus loves Lazarus so much that he's just moved to tears. But if, if you read the story, that doesn't, it doesn't jive for me. Because he knows he's about to raise him from the dead. So why stop and cry a bunch of tears over the one you're just going to... So if you read it a little bit carefully here. Um, John 11.33 When Jesus saw Mary weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The original language there does not mean that he was sad or melancholy. It actually means that he was irate. He was as angry as angry could be. You know, he was angry like you let your son borrow the car and he drove it through the garage door. Angry. Like, or that, you know, your boss annoyed you for the last time. It was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, he is angry. So now we have to figure out, well, what is he angry about? Is he angry at Mary because she won't stop crying and believe him? Well, it doesn't make sense because he wouldn't then start to cry. He'd condemn her or speak against her and make an exhortation and say, why are you so... No. This actually points to the care of Jesus for you more than if he simply wept. Because catch this. I think this is the best way to understand it. He is so moved by the frailty of the human condition that he is downright angry about it. Death and the way that it has ruined everything for that community, and he's so angry about it that it moves him to weep. It relates right back to everyone who's on the hill looking over Jerusalem, and that's the other time we hear about him. He's so angry that the people are moving and falling away, and he's, he's moving to something, but everything is moving to him interacting or interceding in such a way at the cross that will enable a new way. Jesus is irate. But not at someone, but at the state of being. Have you ever felt like no one's on your side? Have you ever had the week where everything went the wrong way? Have you ever had the life where everything went the wrong way? The month, what the year? Jesus is just upset, as upset about that as you are. This world is not how God created it to be. We need to understand that. This is not what He wanted. That's why Jesus came. That's why He's coming again, to make all things new, to set everything back in the right place. He's angry about death. He's angry about sickness. He's angry about brokenness in the world, and it moves Him into care. This is not a God who's far off. But who loves us so much that his anger brings him off the throne. And the tears that he cries leads him to stretch his arms out for me, who Paul rightly called an enemy of God. The gospel is unbelievable. Do you believe? 
Jesus. And then there's this, the disciples, and we'll close with this very, very quickly. Jesus says in verse 15 that he's glad that the sickness of Lazarus has led him to die. Now, this is strange again. Um, not so that he can do this miraculous thing and everyone can say, whoa, look at Jesus, look at the powers that he has. But he says in verse 15, so that you might believe. This is to his disciples before he ever gets there. The reality is that for faith to grow, two things usually happen in the life of followers of Jesus. One, their connection to Jesus enables them to see in their midst the miraculous movings of God. And their faith is increased. Now, I'm not suggesting you should regularly be seeing dead people come out of tombs or sick people healed or everything start to go your way. But you know when you walk with Jesus, you start to see things from different perspectives. You start to see that behind the scenes, God and His Spirit have always been moving to get you into the right path, to make things work out. And sometimes things break the right way for you. You finally get a job. You finally have the thing that you've been moving for finally happens for you, and you see it, and your faith increases. The great takeaway from this is that Jesus, and we said it earlier, Jesus doesn't condemn us for not having faith. He says, walk with me and your faith will grow. Right? And when we walk in community with Jesus, we see our faith grow. But it's more than that. The reality is that the community of the church, both local and universal, is a catalyst for personal faith. See, the disciples were like me, grading the test. I mean, this is cool that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but they didn't necessarily have any unique connection to him. Well, Mary and Martha, this is the crucible of the moment. And the reality for the disciples is that their faith grows by witnessing the faith of Mary and Martha and the faithfulness of Christ. When I was young, I tell the story all the time, um, especially in church, I used to look around. My parents, you know, they're very proper. And so they'd always be like, don't look at other, you know, don't stare, don't point, don't. But as I've grown in my Christian faith, one of the things that I think, you know, while it's societally improper, I'm not suggesting you start staring at people and ogling at them and pointing so everyone can see you. That's not the point I'm trying to make. My parents were right, okay? But the point of Christian faith and community is you ought to be doing a lot of staring because there's a lot to be received from observing the walk of other people. It's okay every once in a while when we're singing to catch the eye of someone else who is just totally enmeshed in worship. It spurs worship in you. It's okay every once in a while when you see someone struggling but you see their faith being tested and they're moving to stop and pause and reflect and let your faith grow from that. It's okay to do a little staring and a little pointing and a little encouraging and a little growing from it. The disciples did. Hey, some of you right now are in a a tough crucible of a moment. And we want to be there for you as a church. And we want to see your faith increase. And we want it to increase our faith too. 
But what we know is that this journey is cyclical. Jesus, or Paul says this from God in 2 Corinthians, that some of us receive comfort because later on you're going to have to be the givers of comfort to the rest of us who are then need it. Right? It's the cyclical reality of we're going to always need each other. Sometimes it's going to be going bad for you, and we're going to. And, some, and so, why try to do this by ourselves? Learn, grow, enmesh, engage with everyone around you. Faith of Martha, good faith. But she has faith that oftentimes is like me. Future, intangible, set of beliefs oriented. Not always laser beam eyes on Jesus in the now. And it's right to do that because Jesus is faithful. A sure faith, a sincere care for us. And in this whole journey of faith, know that if you walk with Jesus, your faith grows. And if you care to walk with others who are following Jesus, your faith grows that way too. This is good. Let's pray.